the Scroll, where we unpack scripture using the rich tradition of the church. I'm your host, John Breyer, and in this episode, I'll be discussing parables, parabolas, yes, you heard me correctly, and prodigals. All right, let's get to it. In this episode, parables, parabolas, yes, the math concept, parabolas, and prodigals. So first, let's set the stage. Jesus has been baptized. He then enters the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and is tempted. And then he begins his public ministry. This is a period of time that lasts roughly three years. And during his public ministry, Jesus both says things that we need to pay attention to and does things that we need to pay attention to. And so in this episode of the podcast, I'll be looking at some of the things that Jesus says that we need to pay attention to. Now, Jesus is a teacher. He's a rabbi. And like any good teacher, he had a number of teaching tools or tricks that he used. And one of the most common tools that he used was a parable. Now, in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we get a record of a number of different parables. Mark has a few parables, Matthew adds a decent number, and Luke has by far the most parables. Interestingly, John never uses the word parable and only has a few images that are even somewhat similar to the parables that we find over in the synoptic gospels. And so that hopefully gets a little bit of the stage set for you uh, before we dig in. Now, what is a parable? I want to share with you a definition of a parable that I heard a couple of years ago that really resonated with me and that I think nicely explains the purpose of a parable. So I'll read it for you and then we'll, we'll go part by part through it uh, to then get a sense for what a parable really is. The definition reads, At its simplest, the parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness, or strangeness, and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. All right, there's a lot there, so let me break down a few different parts. First of all, a parable is a metaphor or simile. It's some type of comparison. And so there's a comparison being made between something in the real world, something in nature, something from common life, and some theological truth that Jesus was trying to teach. Now, Jesus draws content from nature and common life to make it relatable to his listeners. But we've got to keep in mind that he's speaking to people living 2,000 years ago in a very different part of the world. And so if we listen to a parable and think, well, that's not relatable to me, well, that's to be expected because we don't live in the original setting in which Jesus preached. You might even imagine that if the incarnation took place in the year 2000 and the parables were being preached soon, they might be full of iPads and iPhones and tablets and Netflix, etc., etc. But the parables are set in Jesus's life. And so to understand the the parables, we need to be familiar with the context in which they were being proclaimed. Now, the definition goes on to say that the parable arrests the hearer. And I think that's a great phrase, arresting the hearer, because someone who's listening to these parables would have been drawn in, captivated. Their attention would have been captured by some unique or strange detail. And so if we read the parables or a particular parable and don't walk away thinking, huh, that was kind of weird, we've probably misread them or haven't thought deeply enough about the context of the parable. Because there's supposed to be something that draws you in, that captures your attention, that it forces you to think. And that gets us to the end of the definition proclaimed here, which is that a parable is intended to tease the mind into active thought. The meaning of the parables, as this definition acknowledges, is not cut and dry. Rather, it requires critical thinking. The parables are intended to tease our minds into active thought so that eventually our hearts can be drawn to action and to belief to deeper faith. Jesus easily could have preached about the 12 steps to salvation or the sixth step to salvation, but that's not what he does. Instead, he proclaims the arrival of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, depending on the gospel, through these 
challenging parables. They invite us to think. They invite us to critically consider the content present in order to then draw our minds and our hearts eventually into this dialogue and this conversation. Because Jesus doesn't want this faith just to be a, an algorithm that we follow. He wants it to be something meaningful that requires us to connect and to invest. And so at a basic level, that's what a parable is. It's a story told by Jesus, not necessarily rooted in a uh, particular historical event, but that is intended to teach some sort of theological truth by means of comparison. Now, in the title and so far in the episode, I've mentioned parabolas twice. So first of all, what is a parabola? Well, parabola is the shape of the graph that is produced when a quadratic equation is graphed. So for a simple example, you might think of the shape of the water coming out of a water fountain, in most water fountains at least. That sort of U-shaped image or graph we would call a parabola. Now, why do I bring parabolas up? Of course, the word parabola sounds like the word parable. And what's really interesting is that it's actually not a coincidence that the words parable and parabola sound similar. They're based, in fact, on the same Greek word, which meant a placing of one thing beside another. So when we apply that to a parabola, think about the image of the shape of a parabola. There's an axis of symmetry going right down the middle, right through the vertex, over which if you reflect one part of the graph, you'll produce the other part of the graph. A placing of one thing beside another. And how does this apply to a parable? Well, in a parable, Jesus takes something from nature or common life and lines it up with something in the spiritual life. He draws some sort of analogy, as the original definition said, a metaphor or simile, a comparison between things in this world and things of the spiritual journey. And so in both cases, there is some sort of reflection, some sort of placing something beside another that's taking place. But there's actually another comparison to draw between parabolas and parables. A parabola is basically a collection of points. They're at equal distances from a fixed point called the focus and a fixed straight line called the directrix. Now, in podcast form, it's a little bit tricky to explain what this looks like. So I'm going to provide a link in the show notes that will make this a little bit more clear. But what I wanted to point out is that all of the points that make up the shape of a parabola are equidistant or are in equal distances from this fixed point and the fixed straight line. This point, again called the focus, is important in actually defining a parabola. Similarly with parables, there is usually a central point around which the stories revolve. There is some key theological truth that Jesus is trying to unveil through this story. Now in some cases, especially the more complex parables, there might be more than one uh, central point or theological reflections. That's where the analogy breaks down a little bit. But I think it's interesting to think about that, that both parabolas and parables involve some sort of focus on a fixed point, or in the case of a parable, the point of reflection. Now, as someone who loves math, I'll take any opportunity to talk about parabolas and really any math topic, but I hope that you can see the comparison here. It's not coincidental that parable and parabola sound similar. All right, let's keep moving. So we've covered parables, parabolas, now we get to prodigals. So this is probably the most famous, or at least one of the most famous parables. It's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. It's actually only found in Luke's gospel. And it probably better is referred to as the parable of the lost son, because it's put in context of a couple other parables that involve something that is lost and then found. I'd invite you to go reread this story. This is a story that many Christians know relatively well. And as a result, when the story gets read or talked about, some of the details get brushed over. So I'd invite you to go back, read the story like it's your first time reading it, and you'll notice some details that are very interesting. And I'd like to just point out maybe three reflections based on this uh, parable. And you might be saying, wait a minute, John, you just said that a parable 
revolves around a central point. And that is true. In this parable, we've got quite an extended story. So there are lots of lessons that we can draw forth. Primarily, this story is a story of inner conversion and forgiveness. But I do want to point out for each of the three main characters in this story, some sort of takeaway or reflection. There's a lot we could say about this story. I'll link to a couple articles and other resources that will dig a little bit more into this uh, parable if you'd like to explore more. Let me just give you three things to think about today. First of all, from the younger son, we are supposed to see the model of inner conversion. He literally hits rock bottom and then comes back to his father. Has he made mistakes? Of course he has. He's thrown away his father's, a third of his father's wealth. But ultimately, he comes back to the father. And that's what's important to notice here. In some ways, we should see the younger son in ourselves, throwing away at times what we've been given, but then always having that opportunity to come back to the father. And not to be returned to a lower state of life, but rather to be restored in the father. Now, speaking of the father, a second quick reflection is that the father is a loving father. He's a forgiving father, right? This is a story of conversion and forgiveness. The father makes some really interesting decisions here in this story. First of all, he actually gives the wealth to his his son, his younger son, which is a somewhat remarkable thing that he gives his wealth away, probably knowing that it's not going to go to great use. He lets his younger son make that decision. And then when his son does come back to him, he welcomes him with open arms. That's what God does. He gives us the free will to make decisions knowing that sometimes we're going to make the wrong decisions. But then when we come running back to him, asking for forgiveness in the sacrament of reconciliation, he welcomes us with open arms. What was lost has been found. Now for the third reflection, focus in on the older son. Of the three characters, he's probably the one that receives the least attention throughout this story. But through the details that we do have, it's clear that he's done what he's supposed to do. And so... From an exterior perspective, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. But what's revealed at the end of the story is that there's something that's not right inside. Jesus proclaims and teaches that our exterior life needs to match up with our interior life. We're going to hear that come out in the Sermon on the Mount as well. There's got to be a connection between what you believe and what you do. He might be doing the right things, but he doesn't have the humility that's required. And so we see here a great disconnect. And I think, again, if we look at the older son... We also at times might see ourselves maybe going through the motions without that thought of here's why I'm doing this and this deep belief in here's what I'm doing and here's why I'm doing it. Now, I think many of us might see the older son in ourselves at times. I know it's true for me too. How frequently do we go through the motions without thinking about what we're doing? And do we experience that disconnect between the exterior and interior life? And so the great challenge that's presented from the younger son is continual conversion, turning back to the father. And the great challenge presented from the older son is connecting what we believe with what we do. And again, that's what a parable is all about, going back to the definition that we started with. The point of a parable is to tease your mind into thought, but not just to tease it into thought and then stop there. No, it's to tease it into thought so that our heart might be moved to action, that there might be some connection between what we believe and what we do. And so as we progress throughout this Lent, I'd invite you to keep that idea in mind. How do we connect what we believe to what we do? Thanks for joining me this week. Another quick reminder about some of the things I'm doing with the podcast. First of all, every weekday throughout Lent, I'm releasing a short reflection on the Gospel of Mark. So please check in the mornings for those. Secondly, uh, you'll see these interview episodes pop up every now and then. So for example, there'll be one coming up, I believe, tomorrow and then another one next week where I'll be interviewing people who will share some reflections on their favorite Bible passages. So keep an eye out for those as well. Thanks, as always, for listening.